Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Bubble podcast. It's great to be back sharing all these inspiring women's stories. Today's guest, Ange Handler, is a lady that you might have already heard when I interviewed on the Midlife Inspirathon back in February. I interviewed 22 women over 13 hours live on Instagram raising money for two women's charity. We actually raised over £1,500. Anne Chandu is the founder of Inspiring Women's Changemakers, a group that I actually joined earlier this year. And Anne's story is really inspiring. She encourages so many other women to be able to find their voice and use it for good. And I knew that I wanted to continue this conversation with her after talking to her earlier this year. So it's great to have her join us today. And let's face it, there's a reason why Forbes listed her in the top 10 diversity and inclusion trailblazers to watch. So let's hear more from Ange. So welcome, Ange. And as I said in the interview at the beginning, I, I, you know, when I was introducing you, we've obviously had a conversation before on the Midlife Inspirathon, but it is great to be able to have you on the podcast so that we can carry on the conversation because there's a lot to talk about. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for inviting me back on, Rachel. For anybody that doesn't know anything about you, where do we start? How do you introduce yourself to people? There are so many different ways I could introduce myself, but primarily I'm the founder of Inspiring Women Changemakers, which is a community of changemakers of all genders who have a focus on fairness and safety for women. We're span across the UK and we even have a few members abroad, which I'm so delighted about because that happened during the pandemic. So if anything, I think the focus on making change and fairness and safety has been amplified if anything throughout this time amazing I mean I, I joined the uh, women's change makers beginning of the year and I just love what you're doing with it I mean you know, the, the women in there are so inspiring or you know I will talk about that in more depth later but I guess we have to go back to the beginning how did it actually start because this is not something that you had kind of planned for years and years to set in this direction something happened in life that has brought you to this point didn't it absolutely but I think it was something that was planted deep in my heart at some at some point from when I was very young not consciously aware of there were a few potential starting points that I could talk about but the most the most prominent one and the one that people can read about is on the inspiring women changemakers website where in 2014 I led a change.org petition on behalf of an asylum seeker who was seeking asylum on the grounds of potential of female genital mutilation on her two young daughters. One was four, one was two. Um, We were introduced by uh, another Inspiring Women Changemakers member now, my friend Priya Babra, who works within Leeds City Council in the Migrant Access Project. Mm. And so initially when she introduced us, it was with a view to me being a befriender. I was trained through a day job years ago as a mentor for refugees by the Refugee Council. I'd mentored um, a young woman from Somalia for a full year. So I was very aware of some of these barriers and challenges that people face in the system. Mm. And I was also trained in mental health. So those were some of my professional experiences that she thought might help support this woman. The day we met, we formed a very quick bond and she said I have a meeting with the home office would you attend alongside me she did have a lawyer so I said I had to ask their permission and they dropped the case the very next day so I reached out to a barrister who I'd actually seen on a documentary on FGM on channel four it was called the cool cut if you want to look that up and um, I asked her for help and 
following that there was a whole sequence of events and we it's a, a podcast in itself really yes, yeah. um but that led to her volunteering to meet with me I didn't realize that she lived in Australia but she was happening to come to the UK that week and to Leeds she'd never been to Leeds before so when we met she um undertook the paperwork agreed to take on the case and with her profile and to some extent mine although mine was much smaller we were able to pull a legal team together of um, experts in European law and UK case law to build a team that worked with us for about five months on building the immigrant the asylum case essentially for Afazat and her two daughters unfortunately due to again a range of different circumstances and mostly because of the unfairness actually within the asylum system and the the various time scales required with submitting various bits of paperwork mm. Afazat was ultimately deported but then straight away I reached out to the people that signed the change.org petition which were a hundred a hundred 126 and a half thousand supporters by the which end which is of amazing that, which amazing. is amazing yeah and there, there are some practical teachings that I share with change makers on how to do a change.org um, petition as well and some of the things you wouldn't automatically know that I subsequently found out so we we did that I reached out to the community and said she has been deported now when you're deported you are given 250 um, pounds per individual to begin your new life often mm. in a place that you've never lived in before yeah. and so they rallied around and we raised within a few weeks we we raised around 13,000 pounds now I'm a sole trader so for me I had to ensure that I had good governance processes in place and that things were transparent because we were under public scrutiny the Guardian was involved and various other politicians and other influencers so I partnered with a charity so that we could have that budgeting line and receive the funds it was very important that we did that yeah. and that I would take appropriate receipts for supporting them and so at the time it was 2014 which was when Boko Haram had just um, kidnapped all the schoolgirls. Mm. so we needed to keep those people safe that were also very instantly recognizable by the dress by the accents and because guardian in nigeria had picked up the story so yeah. there were all sorts of reasons why they were a safeguarding risk so we funded accommodation for them just for one year and for schooling and the rest of the funds were dispersed with the fgm charities around west yorkshire that we'd partnered with which, which felt only right really so shortly after that you know we supported them got, got them safe it was a very emo emotionally traumatic time for me having put all that emotional time and investment and and financial risk I'll be honest because yeah. you don't earn when you're a campaigner so I learned a lot which is what I love to share with change makers now but I didn't immediately set up Inspiring Women Changemakers at that point. It came a bit later. We wrote a report on the scale of FGM in Leeds, which was very helpful to grassroots organisations working on the theme because when they put in bids, they're often fobbed off because the data's London-centric right. and grant makers don't often think that 
it's practice that takes place in the north of England and it does Um, and particularly because when people come to the UK for asylum and it's not just asylum seekers but it's quite a big number of cases then people are dispersed to key cities in the UK amongst which are Leeds, Bradford and Sheffield so um, for me and my business partner at the time, Dr. Jean Garrard, who is a PhD, has a PhD and is used to data modelling, we were able to prepare this report and the evidence base working with the specialist FGM unit for um, the NHS in Leeds and with Leeds City Council using census data and other information to put together a really good picture that they could then use in bids. And they gave us an award. One of the grassroots organisations in Bradford actually gave us an award as a a recognition and a thanks because they'd lacked that information before. And it's not just FGM. Many, many small and grassroots organisations don't know where to look. They can't get their fingers on it. They don't know how to model it. So yeah. we did that for them. And it, I needed about a year, if I'm honest, to reflect. And during that time, other things went on. But then the name came to me. I just thought it's inspiring women change makers. And originally, my thoughts, even before the campaign, had been around getting women involved in civic life. So in not just not in politics necessarily, but more based around sitting at the table, whether it was in uh, local government boards, I'm, I'm a, a charity chair and I'm a university governor, yeah. all of those kind of things. But actually, when I reflected, what I came to realise was it was the wholehearted, mostly women and some men, and their skills, their connections, and other resources that were completely unplanned or not strategized for that helped. And I thought, you know, I'm great at networking. I'd done that as my day job for years. I've been in sales and I worked in a chamber of commerce. And I knew that many others didn't have that. They didn't, they wouldn't know where to start. And also, I have this attitude which is just start you know just do it so I wanted to be able to provide this community where people have that trust and support and respect that they could draw on at the point that they need it so it's not that you join and you're a change maker immediately or you've got this huge petition and so that also influenced my pricing the membership's only 35 pounds a year as you know and people say how do you make a living from that well I don't it costs me actually um in terms of my administration but I wanted to make it accessible and affordable and inclusive anybody who wanted to make change and just give them that signal and also for them to not feel that they had to do something yeah you know at the start as one member said she she joined up and she said I I might not do something for 10 years I might never do it but I always want to support this and to support Mm -hmm. others and so therefore I want to be part of the community yeah yeah and I love that that's that I I feel the same way at the moment I I am not working towards any big campaign but it's bubbling under the surface and I know that you are there and the rest of the group are there when I need it and along the way I'm learning about what other people are doing and being able to support them and find out and and knowledge is power isn't it so you know I think it's a really it's it's a really great group of of people I do wonder how how did it feel when you'd done that such a you know all that work for Asafa and and it didn't turn out the way you wanted it would have been very easy for you to have just said it's not worth sticking your head above the parapet because the bureaucracy is too hard to get past and it's too difficult to make change was there a point when you just thought actually I just don't this isn't for me or did you always know straight afterwards that even though you need some time for yourself to kind of 
I guess, assess everything that had happened, that you still would continue. So again, there were some learnings from it because the fact that this family humanised a social issue that is often dehumanised, mm. well, two social issues, actually, asylum and FGM, yeah. are it's those people over there, they're not like us, they don't think like us, and it's it's up to them to sort it out. So that bit worked. However, on a personal level, and this is what I'd say to anyone thinking about change, it's very, very draining. And in fact, the last keynote I gave last month at the uh, National Society for Local Council Clerk, one of the clerks was actually the chair of her local women's aid. And she said, I just don't know how you did that. We have a team of people and it's still exhausting. And I said, yes, it is. And so that's why I built that community so that you have a team. And I built that team around me. However, being a few years on now, so I launched in the start of 2017. I did the soft launch in 2016. Things have changed along the way because it, there's more structure in that these, the, there is a very active Facebook group. People know now that culture of being able to just ask in the right way. And I yeah. obviously have the rules around what we can share in within the group and respecting confidentiality and so on but also that I'm supporting and steering other people now rather than feeling that I've got to do it all myself yes because yeah. at that scale I would be completely burnt out emotionally and physically if I were to do that and yeah. I just feel that I wanted to create this space and this confidence and this capability and capacity for change makers to make change and I think that's where I'm uniquely placed now within yeah. within the community definitely and I think it's I feel like it's a really important time right now for women it really does feel like women are taking the lead and using their voice now to be heard and to make changes can you give some examples of kind of some of the successful stories that have come out of inspiring women change makers so far because I know there are some amazing women that are out there they, they really are and I think some are really under the surface and we can't even talk about them yeah. and that's another thing so the very I'll, I'll give you a couple because one I talked about change makers of all genders um now fracking is not something you'd immediately associate with inspiring women change makers but actually it was the very first professional woman that funded some work into um the impact of fracking within this region within the Yorkshire region and um, she felt very passionately about it but actually in terms of you know health implications and particularly for children air pollution mm. and so on it completely fits with our theme of safety mm. because it has a disproportionate effect on certain groups of communities so um Steve it was actually a a, a man that was helped helped me to draft the report you know the communications lead for that Steve actually through my coaching gained some confidence and he completely credits me to this and um, now is a local councillor but then also has joined the board of the original fracking company who have changed tack and are now doing renewables so he's shown up for his community and made that change through where we started from but then before the pandemic another example um that is really big was one of the members um Irini came to me and said look I 
really, I've, I've got a book deal with Routledge. Uh, I'm writing my book now. It's all about um, psychotherapy for survivors of domestic and sexual abuse. I want to do something bigger. She's a very articulate speaker, professional mm. speaker, and had already done that and said, I want to do more. What do I what do I do? So I connected her with two other members. One is another psychotherapist, Tabra Azim, and then an independent advocate, Dorothy Hodgkinson, three very, very different women. They formed the core of our steering group. And then we got um, barristers involved as well through some of Farini's contacts. I facilitated a roundtable with the Minister for Women and Equalities at Shoesmith. So I used my corporate contact and we held this high profile um, roundtable where for the first time time we had legal professionals and psychotherapists and Leeds Women's Aid all talking together but it wasn't it was a national context and it again it was for all genders because the subject that we were tackling was the Crown Prosecution Service pre-trial guidelines for survivors now that was a couple of years ago fast forward to this week mm-hmm. where dispatches amplified um, the issue, which we already knew about, that only 1.5% of cases actually go to conviction. The disbelief within the um, structures of reporting. And um, also, one thing we knew because of the therapist's personal examples was about the line of separation between therapist notes and what police gatherers evidence so there are a lot of nuanced issues that again I I, I won't go into detail but now that group has got their recommendations ready they're taking the lead on speaking with the media so through inspiring women change makers I've been supporting them to make the relevant contacts with people in the media and giving them other support and advice so you know, through some of my established journalist connections. So again, it's that speed of helping them just to get the message out there. And one said, how do I thank you? You know, you found this overnight, literally. And I just said, "We're, we're like a tag team. And that's how I see us. Yeah, which is amazing. And it's just, it's that ripple effect, isn't it? It's creating that ripple effect. And there might be some people listening that are thinking this is all absolutely amazing. And, and, you know, hats off to the women that are out there doing this. But how can I make a small difference in in my own little way? Because you don't have to have massive big campaigns, do you? How can we encourage more women to get involved in their communities, in in smaller issues? In, In any way you can think of, in any way that is right for you, it could be as simple as just sharing an article. Join the Facebook community, that's it. You don't even have to be a subscribed member to be part of that. But just just follow people that are speaking up on issues that matter to you. So I started out on FGM, but actually that it's not just that field. For me, it's broader and definitely issues like domestic and sexual abuse. But, home, you know, we can be passionate about so many different things, but not be the figurehead for them. Yeah. I'm really passionate about climate. I'm also concerned about homelessness. I can't spread myself across all of those things. Yeah, I was going to ask what, you about that. How but, do you choose what you're yeah, going to, to from, kind of take on? From, from your I think we all have to, from our heart, think where do we... It's not that one issue matters more or less than another. But what do we feel called to do? What do we feel, you know, what do we feel called to speak up on? Because what keeps us awake at night? So for me, I I feel completely kept awake at night by things like FGM and domestic abuse. And so that that makes my decision for me. 
Yeah. And I think it's so easy to take that kind of mindset that, oh, well, what, what difference can I make? You know, I'm only one voice, but actually you can make a huge amount of difference, can't you, by just putting yourself out there and speaking up on somebody else's behalf and getting involved and sharing. Yeah. But even if you're not able already to do that, again, it's okay. Share share things that other people are saying. One thing I do notice about women change makers in particular at the very start of the journey is they feel nervous about trolling or backlash or not having the right argument to others that might challenge them. It's okay. Just say, I don't have all of the facts. Be okay with not knowing everything. Just if you speak about what you feel, nobody can really challenge that they might try but they can't tell you how you feel inside how would they know yeah of course and how do you protect yourself as well from emotionally because you do invest so much into campaigns and anybody that takes on a campaign that really gets so passionate about it invests a huge amount of themselves so how what tips could you give to women to kind of protect and put their boundaries up it it is about boundaries Mm. primarily so my keynote is one of my keynotes is radical self-care for change makers and I say it's not just about bubble bath it's about boundaries and your buddies as well you know so it's um setting and keeping healthy boundaries that includes the time you're going to spend on your campaigning or your activism work the time that you are giving to your friends and family your time for yourself Mm. um whether that's something creative sport or just sitting on your backside on the sofa that that is good too what are your long-term strategies for your self-care because all very well we can book ourselves into a spa or take a couple of days off but they're not the things that are going to sustain us because change making is a long game it's never ending I I know that we are in my lifetime not going to solve domestic abuse or Mm. sexual violence or FGM we can aspire to it but we have to be okay with thinking I just want to do this because I feel okay in myself I can hold my head up high knowing that I've tried the best I can but to do that you need to also be a bit more forgiving on yourself about what you can do because especially you know I don't think I've ever said this to anyone Rachel but there can be an incredible amount of self-consciousness involved as well Mm. when you do something so big and then you pull back you know and thinking about other people's expectations well I I love Brene Brown and in um, her book Daring Greatly she talks about that um, Theodore Roosevelt speech the critics don't count and in in one of her TED talks she says you know if people are in the cheap seats if they're saying something but they're not in the arena fighting with you then their opinion doesn't you shouldn't take on board their opinion so I'm paraphrasing Um, she says it in a much more articulate way but When I heard her say that, I thought that is so true because it's so easy for people in their armchairs to troll or to say these things. But actually, other people who are doing this kind of work know how hard it is and how draining it is. And if you have a community like that of other change makers, they they put their arms around you metaphorically and say, are you okay? Have you taken time out? What can I do or who can I introduce you to? And that is, you know, that buddies bit. The people that get you who are not always the people you think they will be, in other words, your close friends or your family, are the ones that will look after you when you really need it. Have you seen a change in the last few years since you've been doing this in more women? 
kind of finding their passion and speaking out and, and kind of starting to make that ripple effect and make changes. It, I think it's always been there at different levels that things come and go in, you know, in our awareness or in prominence. So there was Me Too and then Sarah Everard and um, other cases that have come after as well. You know, these are these are things that focus our mind. But I think women have always been doing it. Sometimes they feel braver or come together in a groundswell. Um, And that, but, you know, these waves of activity, actually, how can we, how can we keep the momentum up so that we're not just reaching a peak and then it, it dies down a bit and only a few people are doing that work? How do we keep that passion and that commitment up? Yeah. And also what really struck me, I read in one of your in one of your notes, I think it's on the page actually on the on the uh, website, is that you are only one part of one percent of black and brown women in the position of governance. And that yeah. really shocked me. I was like, really so one percent. How can we encourage and get more diversity, you know, and, and get more women involved from all different cultures? It's it it seems to me that we've still got such a long way to go. Hey, we can't get word out tonight, but I'm doing a talk for um, the the trustees and racial diversity tonight. So I'm actually doing a talk on just that. You know, how do you become, but periodically I do that. So I am an associate for Getting On Board, which is a charity that whose mission it is to change the face of trusteeship Mm. at all levels. So it's not just about colour, but they are an anti-racist organization that offer bursaries on the place and I so I train people through the program there is there is a significant investment yeah. um, but sometimes employers pay for that but then they also do cheap or free webinars that people can go to right. I do um, periodic information webinars as well on what trust you know what does a trustee do? Who are yeah. they? How do you get to be it? How do you write your cover letter? So follow organisations like that because there are so many, there's so much activity within the charitable sector, particularly now, that are focusing in a two-pronged way um, on the charities to diversify their boards and to attract people from diverse backgrounds. And actually, it's not just black and brown people. Young people and disabled yeah. people are very underrepresented. Yeah. Um, and, and for me personally, it's that accessibility on boards for people with disabilities. It gets it gets forgotten about or it's yeah. right at the end it's put in the too difficult box and it's just doesn't make sense yeah. to me at all do you go into schools as well do you, go into, do you schools. go into schools to talk to try and encourage younger people to get involved I, do you know I don't because people are people do that and I think my focus because of this strategic focus within change makers and my own personal focus actually it's with I'm doing a lot more work, particularly since the pandemic started with big grant giving body, uh, bodies and, you know, the larger ones, multi-million pound grant makers, yeah. because actually that's where that's where the ripple has to start. Yes. And it's not yeah. it's it's, yeah. you know, they're trying. Some of them are really trying. Some of them are just not trying. And so I feel like I've I've got to this level where I have a voice and a reputation for doing this kind of work and that's my responsibility to use that voice to open the door for other people I don't do schools because it I think 
Yes, great. But even from a safeguarding perspective, for people to join boards, to be to actually have voting rights, the need to be of a certain age anyway. So maybe it's colleges um, and universities. But then there's a whole there's a brilliant student union movement across the UK and there's the Young Trustees Network. So they're doing that. And people there there are some great people who I can name check, like Mita Desai or uh, Rodolfo Baradas and um, Matt Ingram, who are two of my trustees at Freedom studios the these are excellent people to who are going out and representing on the behalf of young people so you know we don't have to do we we have to support and give recognition to the people that are most relevant to to speak up in in whatever context they're in yeah and you are doing such an amazing job you know have you got kind of goals for the next five years for for how you'd like to see women change makers or are you just letting it kind of evolve naturally no I've let it evolve because you know I didn't start out with a business plan I don't think I could have business planned any of it mm. and I think it has to the pandemic has changed so much for so many of us um for me it made me niche down into more of this governance and you know consultation activity that I do so it has and and that's great because that enables me to fund some of the other activities that I want to do so it feels right for now but with some reflection time over Christmas or next year it may well be that things change and actually one of the big announcements Rachel that I'm going to make is the last few years as you know I've run the Igniting Inspiration campaign and awards event the campaign will stay so we um, use a pro forma of questions for women to answer so that they're they're published on the website and that when it comes to introductions I've got something there that I can refer back to or send on to others and that's always been a valuable part of what we do in terms of facilitating the connections and bringing in resources the awards event on its own didn't hasn't really achieved that to the extent I would have hoped Mm. and it's been personally exhausting so at least for this year and probably going forward we're not going to have a physical awards event and I think in in part that was it always focused on women in the north of England as well and in the spirit of fairness to our community well women from all over and we have women that are not necessarily yet in the community whose stories still need to be shared and um, their voices raised up so that will be the big change from this year but it also means it frees up me and other core members of the team to look at other things that we could do that could really enhance our work in terms of just just getting voices out there um doing things in a slightly different way so you know more maybe more regular community gatherings online and maybe some ripple out in person as well so I'm actually going to put one on in December which is just come turn up Share, share your voice. Tell us yeah. what you think. What do you think's missing? What would you like to see? And so we would welcome new voices. If you're listening to this and you think mm-hmm. it sounds interesting, please come along because I'd love to hear from from you. I think as we shape things, because we're not we're not out of the woods with this pandemic. I know many many women, particularly self-employed women like us, who are still really struggling. And as emergency funding and other bits of support have now been withdrawn, how do we better support people in the community? What What's needed now? And so we need, we need to keep, have those conversations. And I'm seeing it at all levels. I'm seeing it with individuals 
like us who are doing things, people within charities, people within corporates, and how do we create the the right level of, you know, the right community focus for these times and going forward as as we don't exactly emerge from um, the pandemic and everything that entails, but from the level of support that has been had in the context of rising costs and inflation yeah. and other things as well. It's it, it's so big. Only time will tell, won't it, you know, mm. what, what comes next year. But I, I just think you're doing such an incredible job, Andrew, and you are a constant source of inspiration. So please look after yourself as well as, you know, keep me doing all this amazing work. Because you do, you do inspire me, you know, on a daily basis when I see what you're doing. It makes me want to to be a better person and and to to keep kind of sharing and using our voices. So thank you so much. How easy do you find it to compliment yourself? Because I find women really do, it's not something that we're very good at. So my last question I ask all my guests now is, if you could pay yourself one compliment, what would it be? And you've got really good at boundaries in fact you're bloody brilliant at setting and keeping boundaries brilliant that's a, that's the perfect way to end well done thank you so much Alex. all right how can people find out about you remind everybody about the website where you are on social media the website is inspiringwomenchangemakers.co.uk you can follow me at Ange Hander, just my name and inspiring women changemakers is at WMN Changemakers. We're on Facebook. We have the um, community. So feel free to send a join request to that. And there are a few questions that you'll, you'll be asked when you join and just get involved. Just, you know, come watch if you want there's yeah. I, I i'm one of those people it's like there's no such thing as lurking somebody might be a member of a group for ages and then just say right i'm ready now so yeah. please don't come be scared out yeah. with us. don't be scared yeah brilliant well i'll put all those in the show notes as well so thank you so much because i really appreciate your time because i know how busy you are so go and uh, go and kind of relax for an hour before your next one <laughs> brilliant thank you Rachel. thank you Thanks so much take care on. thank you. you bye, bye. While I hope listening to Ange and her Inspiring Women Changemakers story has left you with some inspiration, I know it has me and I'm in constant admiration for all the work that she does to really help make a difference in the world. No matter how small, we all have a voice and if we want to use it, it can be really powerful. So I would um, love to hear from you if this is you and you're making changes in life after 40. Please get in touch, rachel at rachelperu.co.uk. I'll be back in a fortnight with some more inspiration for you. And in the meantime, keep being fabulous. Yes.